Over the years of my ministry, several experiences have been indelibly linked with certain scripture passages. One in particular comes in mind today, prompted by the readings from both Ezekiel and John. I was attending a workshop in New Orleans at an organization for recently paroled prisoners transitioning back into society. The program used some traditional methods such as re-education and mentoring, but the founder located its real power in a process of mutual self-help and spiritual encouragement he called community building. Sitting in a circle for a number of hours several times a week, these 50 prisoners spilled out their stories, sharing their defeats, celebrating their victories, as they engaged in the long, hard process of rebuilding their identities and place in the world. It was stirring, very stirring. But the stories I heard were severe. The 21-year-old sitting next to me tried and convicted as an adult at the age of 14. He had been released just six months earlier. The 45-year-old woman across the circle who became a crack addict at the age of nine. And other stories recalled murdered brothers and parents dead by overdose, the devastations of crushing poverty, all manner of human calamity and deprivation. The stories leaked out as the men and women told of how their lives had been transformed by the love and care they found in and through this program, the program for themselves and their peers. Their gratitude was overwhelming. One man spoke simply and eloquently for the group when he said that what the program had given him was something that he thought was gone forever was his dignity. And I tell you, I shed many tears as they shared their stories. But at some point I realized these tears were not about the suffering. Instead, they were a response to the palpable opportunity for rebirth. I could feel it, it was alive in the room. Through their surrender to a spirit larger than their own and their willingness to reach out to one another, this unlikely company made the plain industrial room in which we met a very, very sacred space. From the moment I walked through the door and first experienced their respectful silence, I felt the space was far holier than many churches I had been in over the years. And I'm especially mindful of that today since we're all sequestered in our own homes, made holy by our, our gathering in this way. At one point during their sharing, one of the participants recalled the story of the bone rattling imagery from Ezekiel you heard a moment ago. She must have dug it out from a childhood memory of Sunday school. And honestly, I swear to God, I nearly heard the rattling and clattering of bones coming together. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them and the breath came into them and they lived. You know, their lives were not easy by any, any measure. They spoke of many failures as well as some successes, but they were filled with a vital hope. It struck me 
as a lot more hope than many persons who had been blessed by a far richer environment, education, and material prosperity. It occurred to me at the time that this experience would have been would have brought tears even to the eyes of cynics. And strangely, these might be the tears of identification. And I say strangely because most of us probably wouldn't automatically identify with these people. But when actually bearing witness to something dead, being brought back to life, most of us will feel a strum on a deep inner chord. That's because all of us, at least once in a while, sense death lurking about whether or not we ever speak of it and, and long for a word of hope. Ezekiel had gone into long exile with his people around 2,600 years ago. Sharing their devastating experience, he knows their state of mind. He has heard their complaints. The people say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Their God resides elsewhere. They have been cut off at the root. The smell of death hangs in the air. And Ezekiel hears God's voice inquire, Mortal, can these bones live? And I'm thinking that Mary and Martha may have heard a similar voice in their despair over the death of their brother Lazarus too. Now concerning the matter of death, we are completely the same regardless of background or present status. Whether you have a doctorate from Harvard or failed to get a high school diploma, whether you have $100 million or just 10, whether you are blessed with dazzling physical beauty or not, whether you command the attention of thousands or only your cat and then only occasionally, each of us has a finite number of hours on this earth. As the story is told, Jesus will raise Lazarus to physical life. But really, it's only a postponement for a more permanent change. In a few more months or years or even a decade or two, Lazarus' earthly life will leave him for good. Jesus has another order of magnitude in mind when he speaks as one who is the resurrection and the life. We know this because of what will soon befall him. Easter is just a few short weeks away. The story from John is a bit of an Easter tease as Jesus continues his dramatic journey to Jerusalem and we continue our season of Lent. Death has many guises, of course. From Jesus' perspective, it's entirely possible to have physical life and still be mostly dead. Have you ever seen that? Or have you ever known that for yourself at some desperate time? You know, I've spoken with many people over the years that have been in some stage of decay, despair, or hopelessness. And you know, it's not so very uncommon, really. I suspect a condition like this visits nearly everyone at some time or another before our final death. Virginia Mollencott, Emeritus Professor of English and Theologian, said that she loved to watch students come alive. One of the courses I teach is freshman English, she once wrote, and that's a place where you can empower people. 
They often come to you beaten down. Before I pass back their first graded paper, I give them a little speech. This grade is not for you. <clears throat> this grade is for a piece of work you turned in. Then I ask them if they want to know what I think of them, and usually they do. So I continue. I think you're made in the image of God and of inestimable worth. There's no way anything I could put in my grade book could ever begin to estimate you. I learned to do this after I read Flannery O'Connor's story about the boy who went up in the attic and drew a circle with a big F in the middle and hanged himself over the F. He didn't distinguish between the grade he was getting and who he was. For me, the meaning of life is to share with people the wonderful news that we are daughters and sons of God. Well, that's what many of the paroled men and women in the reentry program were discovering. In fact, though this was not a faith-based program, I was struck by how many of them made offhand references to God in their storytelling, woven right in inextricably. No hyper-religious soliloquies, just respectful, hopeful references to faith and a source of hope beyond themselves as though this was a common language of life for them. In addition to the Ezekiel passage, I heard a reference to Lazarus as well. At one point, one of the participants said to that young man who sat next to me, the one who had been imprisoned as an adult at the age of 14, the older gentleman said to him, Jeff, I swear to God, your Lazarus come out of the grave. Now, I, I doubt maybe the majority of those present knew the reference, but I did. And it's the reason I remember it so well on the fifth Sunday of Lent. Desolation and hope commingled in that room, but there was no question that hope, the spirit of life, had the larger claim on the intentions of their hearts. Ezekiel's vision of a desecrated valley, full, fully restored, is a powerful metaphor of what God accomplishes with another set of lifeless bones nailed to a wooden crossbeam in first century Palestine. And remarkably, it foreshadows what's possible for anyone who feels at any moment that he or she is part of the company of the walking dead. If that has ever defined your situation, take heart, breathe deeply. It's God's pleasure to fill your lungs with his very breath. And considering the state of our world today, let's take heart together for God's sake. Let's claim the promise that's found on the other side of every death-dealing circumstance, joining forces with a breath of life. Pray with me, will you? Holy One, in our need, invade our lives with the breath of life. Fill us with hope and a sense of place and dignity. Help us to care for one another very well and help us to love as best we can. In your name we pray, amen.